thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. You're having a absolutely fantastic week. Mine's been off to a great start. I was talking to my oldest son the other day, and we were just talking about things that I would do when I was nine years old like he was. And he said, yeah, Dad, at school we learned about that people did those things in the 1900s. So my week's off to a great start. Um, I'm dealing with that emotionally. I'm going to jump into a freedom small group this semester. Um, But hey, we're in a series on relationships. Relationships matter. So if we can be intentional with how we do relationships, the quality of our life increases. Because I really do believe this, that the, the quality of your life is a derivative of the quality of your relationships. So when you have good, healthy, intentional relationships, the quality of your life increases. The external situations may not change, but the internal quality will go up. So why, why does this matter so much? Well, Jesus gave us this, this precedent. Is it okay if I just jump in? I got a lot to say today. I've got a big mouth, and I want to just go for it. Is that okay with you guys? All right, just making sure. So Jesus said, told us that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus is sneaky. Jesus adds on this second little sentence that changes everything. He says that in the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most of us can really easily get on board with that first one. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes, that sounds great. That sounds straightforward. That sounds so linear. Yes, A to B. Yes, I am a person. I should love God. And then sneaky Jesus throws in people too. And you're like, wait a minute. I have to love people? But Jesus, don't you know people? They cut you off in traffic. They lie. They're they're not kind all the time. They're dysfunctional. They make mistakes. They lie against you. They gossip. They cheat. They steal. They do all these things. Jesus, I have to love people. I can love you. That's great. The more I get to know you, the more I love you. The more I realize that you're faithful, you are true, you are kind, you are generous, you are always steadfast in your love toward me. I can love you. And the more I get to know you, God, the more it's, the easier it is to love you. But the more I get to know people, that's a whole other situation. The more I get to know them, the less likely I am to love them because I get to see all of their baggage, all of their garbage. I get to see all of their sin. I get to see all of their mistakes and I'm still supposed to love them? That doesn't make sense. But as we look at the word of God, we see Jesus over and over and over again pointing to the necessity of loving people. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in to today's text and topics. That was all bonus, by the way. That's not even my message. So let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. God, your, li- your word is alive. God, you're speaking to your people. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. You would do a profound work in each and every single one of our hearts today. 
God, we need you. We don't need Nathan's words. God, we need your words. We need the words of the Holy Spirit speaking to the deep recesses of our heart and to fan into flame the, 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 the fire that may be dormant. So God, I pray that you would do what only you can do today. Transform lives, transform hearts, change lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen. All right, so if you are an overachiever, I need you to go ahead and jump into Matthew chapter 7 and then put your finger or that little ribbon thingy, that's the technical term, of the, the, the ribbon thingy in your Bible at Numbers 33. So we're going to be Matthew chapter 7 and then Numbers 33. Matthew 7 says this. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, the narrow space, small is the gate. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is telling us today that we can't leave any gaps. And there's, there's situations, have, have you ever had to squeeze through a tight space? Think about it, just a narrow gate, or maybe you parked your car too close to somebody else's. Uh, never mind. You would never do that. You're fine, upstanding Christian citizens. You would never park your car too close to the other one, but someone may have done that to you. So then you're like doing the, the side shimmy to like get to your door. You know what I mean? You got to squeeze through. You can't like broad shoulder your way to your, your door to get into your car. You got to, you got to squeeze through and you're like, can I make it? Can I make it? How, how much can I squeeze in to make it through this gap? And Jesus is saying, this is the narrow gate. He wants you to enter it through the narrow gate because that is where you'll find life. So there's no excess, excess spaces. There's no extra inches. Every single inch matters if we're going to squeeze through the narrow gate. There's not going to be any gaps in this. So how do we apply this truth of Matthew 7 to relationships? Well, because you can't go through the narrow gate unintentionally. No one ever squeezes through a small space on accident. It takes a high degree of intentionality. Every single inch matters. So when we look at the lens of relationships, how do we go through the narrow gate to find life in our relationships? Well, every inch matters. We're looking at the gaps. We're looking at the spaces because inch by inch, if we are not intentional, we'll slowly find ourselves at a broader or wider and wider gate. And Jesus is clear, that's not where life is. Life is found in the, in the narrow gate, the, the tight space, the close space. So let's look at Numbers chapter 33. This is probably your favorite chapter on relationships in the Bible. It's going to be good, though. I believe God has something for us specifically in these verses. And it says, Numbers chapter 33, verses 50 is where I'm going to start. And he says, On the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all of the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all of their carved images and their cast idols and demolish all of their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you this land to possess. Distribute the land by lot according to your clans. To a larger, give a larger inheritance, and to a smaller, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distribute it according to your ancestral tribes. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. 
This is such an interesting passage of scripture to me because this is Moses' farewell address to the nation of Israel. Like just, I want to pause, just think about this. This is Moses' farewell address to the nation of Israel. Moses, who had led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of 400 years of captivity. This is Moses that you see in the New Testament transfigured on the, the, with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is Moses, who the Bible says spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friends. And the last thing he is telling the nation of Israel before they go into the promised land is don't leave any gaps. Don't let there be any space. Push everything else out. Occupy every square inch of the promised land. Don't leave anything left. Take it all. I mean, just think about the, the, the proximity of where they're at in this moment. Like, they're on the plains of Moab. They're by the Jordan River. The Jordan River that God is going to supernaturally part so they can cross over on dry land. They're near Jericho, the first fortified city that they're going to overtake as they occupy the promised land. And he's not saying, remember the Ten Commandments, remember the Torah, remember the law. He's not, he's not rehearsing and retelling the miracles that God did to get them out of Egypt. And all those things are good. What he is telling them, though, is don't leave any gaps. You've got to close the gaps. You have to pay attention to the gaps. You have to mind the gaps. You cannot let there be a single gap in the land because if you do, it will cause you pain. If you allow there to be gaps, whether they're there intentionally or unintentionally, what takes root in those places and those places will eventually come to harm you. And I think it's so fascinating when we look at our relationships. We often find so many gaps that we never close. I mean, Moses is with a megaphone going, warning, warning, warning. I need you to know this. I need you to understand this. The gaps have to close. You cannot leave any gaps or else you will eventually become enslaved by what occupies the gaps. And they don't have to. I love this, the phrasing of Moses, because he doesn't even say, hey, if you get 90% of it, you're going to be good. A small gap's fine. No, no, no. He's not saying a small gap is fine. He's saying you got to get rid of all of them, because even the smallest space can give the enemy room to work. Last year, I was doing some work on my house, on the exterior of my house, and I was changing out some light fixtures. And as I started to disassemble this light fixture outside my house, I learned a very important thing very quickly. That there was a, when you looked at the light, it didn't look like there was any gaps at all. It looked like it was sealed very, very well. So I'm starting to take this light apart so I can switch it out for a new one. And I learned very, very quickly that even the smallest spaces can create a large amount of pain because inside of the light fixture, Wasp had taken up residency and they had filled every inch all the way through the interior, the, the, the wiring conduit, the, all of the interior house. They'd filled up the entire space with the smallest of gaps. Small gaps can lead to great pain. 
and a lot more money. <laughs> Moses leading the people of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness, a fire by night and a cloud by day as they wandered and moved and followed the, the, the spirit of God leading them, looks at his people knowing that he, he's not going into the promised land with them, knowing that it's going to be Joshua that takes them in, knowing all of this says, don't let there be any gaps. I don't see like harsh Moses. I see like grandfather, fatherly Moses looking at the nation that he led like a father for 40 years saying, guys, don't let there be any gaps. When we find these gaps, they, they often happen in the same three scenarios. They, they, come in, they come in transitions, moments and seasons of transition. They come through communication, and they come through our expectations. And in this spot, in this story, in the narrative of God, this is all three of these are happening with the nation of Israel. Think about it. They're going from Moses was the leader. Now Joshua is going to be stepping in to leadership over the nation. There's a, there's a leadership transition. Moses is out. Joshua is in. They're going from nomadic tribe to permanent residence. They're going to be building homes and farms and doing all of those things. They're going from portable to permanent and worship. Praise God. Everybody said amen. They're going, all, they're going through all of these things. They're, all of these transitions are happening. The people had all of these expectations. When we get to the land of milk and honey, this land that God has promised us, what's it going to be like? I think it's going to be like this. I think it's going to be like that. Remember the spies? They had to carry grapes on like branches with poles. I don't know what kind of grape that is, but that's terrifying. That's a giant grape. That's like Costco-sized grapes. And Moses is trying to communicate so clearly his desired outcome for the nation. He's trying to say, here is my desire. Here is my, my desired intent for you is this, is to drive out all of the inhabitants. Don't let there be, leave any spaces. Don't let a single res, current resident occupy that place. Because if you don't, the promise that God has given you, the purpose that God has given you can be derailed in a moment. The spaces we leave, the gaps we leave in our lives invariably get filled. They get filled with defeat, with loss, with pain, frustration, enslavement, idolatry, bitterness, anger, resentment. All can take up roots. They'll take up residency in the spaces that we leave. And they cause us more frustration and pain than you can ever imagine in a moment. The larger the gap, the more it gets filled. Just like the wasp nest, every inch will be filled. And I know what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'll just, I will just avoid all three of those things. I will avoid transitions. I'll avoid communication. And I will avoid expectations. Good luck. Because we can't avoid them. Our lives are marked by transitions. Like, just think about it. You're 12, and then you turn to 13. You were not a teenager. Now you are a teenager. If you're a girl, your voice goes up. If you're a boy, your voice goes down. Like, you're all equal playing at 12, but in 13, everyone's octave shifts. You, you go from graduating high school and graduating college. Everything is different, right? You go from single to married. Everything is different. It's a transition that marks us. You go from married to having children. You go from double income, no kids, living like a, the dink life, and then you go to having children, and, and all of a sudden, it's all different. 
You go from having a child to becoming outnumbered with children. You switch from a man-to-man to a zone defense. That's a, you have to shift things. It's a transition. Parenting small children to parenting adult children or older children, teenagers. You give a small child a fruit, bag of fruit snacks, and they're very happy with you. You give a teenager the keys to the car, and they're very happy with you. They're very different seasons. It's a transition. When you become empty nesters, it's a transition. When your children get married, you start having grandchildren. It's a transition. Your work changes. You get promoted. You change jobs. You change firms. You do whatever. You're hoping for a promotion. You don't get it. Someone else gets it. There's a work change, and it creates a season. It creates a transitionary moment in your life. You move. You lived in this home, and now you live in this home. You have a loved one very close to you passes away. It's a marker. It's a transition. You retire. Those are just some big ones that I've thought of. I mean, think about even just the little micro ones in your day. When you, when you get up, if you have kids, when you get up and you get them to school, how many know that's a transition moment? When then you pick them up from school, that's another one. And then when you go to bed, why do you argue with your children at those three times the most? Because they're transition moments. There's gaps in those moments. You don't think we, you dealt with insecurity or resentment or pride, but now a transition has exposed it. You're, you're doing fine at work and then your company gets bought out or you wanted a promotion and someone else gets it from your team and you're just like, now, wow, I'm, I'm dealing with all of these things now. I'm wrestling with all of these emotions. It's because there's a gap in your relationship. There's a gap that was exposed in a moment of transition. And now you have to choose what you're going to do with that gap. Will you allow something to take up residency in that gap? Will you allow the wide the gate to take up residency? Will you try to go through where it's wide? Or will you compress and say, no, no, I'm going to close the gap. I'm going to find the narrow gate. I'm going to squeeze in and make myself as tight as possible so I can be as intentional as possible to go through the narrow gate because I want to close the gaps. You thought your marriage was okay. And all of a sudden now your, your, your conversations are getting filled with the things that you're not saying to one another. There's a gap in communication in your hopes, your desires. Maybe it was a transition. Maybe it was something else. But maybe now all of a sudden you're wondering, you, you're dealing with resentment or anger or bitterness, wondering about your purpose in life. And you, you look at your spouse and you start to resent them or see them as all the things they are not instead of being grateful for all the things that they are. There's a gap in communication. And if you're not intentional to close the gap, what'll take up residency there? Or maybe you're going through life and you, just, you have expectations. I was expecting this outcome and it ended up happening like this. I was expecting to get the promotion. I was expecting this person to treat me a certain way. I was expecting this to happen. And all of a sudden, there's, there's a gap now because your present reality does not line up with what you expected. And now you have to choose, what am I going to do to close this gap? What am I going to do to fill this gap? Because I can't leave this gap in my relationship or something will take root there. The barbs in your eyes and the thorns in your side, eventually we become enslaved by the things we allow to take up residency in those gaps. 
Listen, I would, I would love to tell you that the nation of Israel was fully obedient to Moses. They heard the voice of the Lord through Moses, their leader, and they were fully obedient and they did exactly what Moses told them to do. But the reality is that's not what happened. In 2 Kings 17, 7, we actually see this. The, the, the nation of Israel is being taken into captivity by the Assyrians. This is hundreds of years later. But watch, watch the language in 2 Kings 17. It says, all this, say all of this. All of this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshiped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices of the kings of Israel had introduced. Moses is going back, way back here in Numbers 33. He's going, warning, warning, warning. Here is what's going to happen if you don't drive them all out. Here's what's going to happen if you do not close the gaps, if you do not fill the space. Here's what's going to happen in a number in 2 Kings 17. You see them reaping the fruit of not being fully obedient to close the gap. The entire nation is taken into captivity. The space creates separation, and separation gives room for sin to take root. Listen, if you're a child of the 90s, you, you do not want Dixie Chick theology. You do not want wide open spaces. You do not want room to make a big mistake. That's not what we're going for as Christians. We want to find the narrow gate. We want to find the tiniest space. And we want every single inch to matter. We want every single detail to matter. We want every single relationship to matter. So we have to become intentional with our relationships so that we can close the gap, so we can fit through the narrow gate, so we can find life as we go through the narrow gate. This is why Christian community is so vital. Where else can I find Christian community? There is no other group, there's no other club, there's no other social sphere that you or I could be in that is the same as Christian community. You know why you need a small group? It's because you need people who know God. You need people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit to be in, in relationship with you so that you can close the gaps for one another, so that you can have someone speak into your life, not just to think that you're awesome or believe in you or think that you can do anything you put your mind to do. You need people who know God and who know you and can speak into your life in a way that no one else can. Several years ago, I... Um, I was working with one, I had a real good friend I was working with, and I had an office at that time, and uh, he knocks on the door, and he goes, and I, you know, it's an open door office kind of policy, kind of that vibe, and he knocks on the door, and he says, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? It's one of my best friends. I was in his wedding. I was one of the, the groomsmen, all the things, and I said, yeah, of course, man. What's going on? So then he comes into my office, and he, and he shuts the door behind him. And then he sits down. Now, I don't know what your work environments look like, but when you go from the open door meeting to the closed door meeting, like, whoa, okay, something's up. Like, this, is, this has got real, real fast. And he sits down in the chair, and he looks at me, and he says, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, I'm, my mind is racing at this moment, going, my word, what is going on in my friend's life? God, help me have wisdom. 
Help me to be able to give him whatever counsel he needs in this moment. You know, your mind just is racing in those moments. Man, I hope everything's okay. And he just looks at me with the most sincerity he could ever have. I mean, just, just, just true sincerity. He looks at me and he says, you're being a jerk. And I, I kind yeah, I, yeah. And I, I looked at him kind of like I am now and I'm going right now. Like I'm being a jerk right now. Can, like, can you give me more? I think I need more. I don't know if I want more, but can you give me more? And he goes, listen, I've been in these three meetings with you over the last week and a half. At this meeting, this person was talking and you completely just, you were a freight engine. You ran them right over. You did not stop. You did not go to, you know, you went to go, you collected your $200 and you just gone. You ran over them. This meeting, you were just completely aloof. You just, your face said it all that you thought that person was an idiot. And at this meeting, this happened. And this is the sentence that has actually dropped into my heart that makes me remember this conversation. I'll remember this for the rest of my life. He looked at me and he said, that's not the man of God I know you want to become. So I'm not going to let you settle for anything less. So I looked at him and I said, um, you're a jerk. Get out of my office. No, I looked at him and said, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. Will you, will you forgive me? He said, of course. Um, and then he said, I think you should go make it right with those people. And I said, absolutely. So I went and I knocked on other people's door that afternoon. And I went and I apologized to each one of them. And here's the interesting part about this. I, had, I went to three different offices that day, had three different conversations, and not a single one of them had any offense not a single one of them were like, yeah, you were being a jerk. How dare you? You should repent to me. None of them. No, there were, it wasn't even a blip on their radar. But the phrase that keeps coming back is, that's not the man of God you, I, want, I, you, I know you want to be. So I'm not going to let you settle for anything less. It didn't matter if they noticed it. I wasn't in close relationship with them. I was in close relationship with my friend. And because I was in close relationship with my friend, he was able to speak into my life. He was able to see and identify a gap that I had in my Christian maturity that I needed to close. So many of us are missing out on the blessing of Christian friendship because we're afraid to take a step. We're afraid to let down our guard and let people authentically know us. We need to step into a group. You need Christian friends. And here's the thing I want to add this. I want to make sure you know this. This is because this is a trap I think we fall into. My friend, he had zero positional authority in my life. He was not superior to me organizationally. He was below me organizationally. He had no positional authority in my life. So just as you, it's easy to, to get in these situations and go and to look at someone and go, well, they, they don't know all the details. They don't know why. They're, they don't, they're not privy to all the information like I am because I'm a big deal and they're not a big deal. So I'm just going to be me. Oh, that's just my personality. 
I'm, I'm just, that's my Enneagram number. That's just who I am. So it's just, uh, my Myers-Briggs is J-E-R-K. You know, like, it's just like, this is who I am. No, 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 no. The last time, I want to I ask you the question. When was the last time someone who does not have authority over you corrected you and you said, you know what, you're right? That was an opportunity for you to close a gap. How did you do? Got quiet. Just telling you. We need Christian fellowship. We need Christian community. You, you shouldn't, just don't look, look at the person and go, they're a bigger mess than me. Well, let me point out X, Y, Z in their life to justify me not listening to them. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm your friend today. Can I get super practical for you? Another moment? Another mo mo moment? What gaps do you have in your marriage? Yeah, we're going there. What gaps do you have in your marriage? Let's, let me just, okay, just remember, my name's Nathan. I'm your friend. Do you have separate checking accounts? It's not a sin to have che separate checking accounts. I'm not going to tell you it is, but it creates a gap. It creates a space where you can hide things from one another. When the biblical mandate for marriage is two becoming one. So my encouragement, if you want to close the gaps, two become one. Not two accounts, not a, not a space for you to hide extra funds so you can kind of do with what you want. One account. I told you my name's Nathan. I'm your friend today. Do you go to bed at the same time as your spouse? What gaps, when we, go, when we don't go to bed at the same time as our spouse, what little gaps can take up residency there? When one of you is staying up late, doing your own thing, whatever, what gaps can take up residency? What sin can take root in those gaps? Listen, I'm just, I'm your friend. Nothing good happens when you do not go to bed at the same time as your spouse. And nothing bad happens when you do go to bed at the same time as your spouse. Does your spouse have full access to your phone or your devices? Or do you get defensive when they look at it? What are you, what are you looking at that for? What are you checking? What, what are you looking at? Why or why not? Why, do you, why, why, is that your, why is that your heart? Why is that your reaction? Are there relationships? Are there apps? Are there things that are there that are creating a gap between you and your spouse? Or do you go, hey, here you go. You have every password, you have every code, you have everything that you would ever need. You have full access into every aspect of my life. There is nothing hidden. One, one will create a wide gate. One will create a narrow gate. I told you my name is Nathan, I'm your friend. Is your spouse your standard of beauty or do you compare them to other people? Culture will try to tell you that you need a wide gate. Christianity will tell you that there is a narrow gate. 
that your spouse is your standard of beauty, not what culture says is beautiful, but what God has provided for you in the way of a spouse. So listen, for me, it's five foot seven girls with brown hair from Dearborn County, Indiana, from a road called Possum Ridge, y'all. Like, that's the standard of beauty. I want the most narrow gate possible. I want to be squeezed and not have a single inch to try to get through that gate. I want to get as compressed and as tight and as small as possible so that every single inch is occupied, that there is no empty space. There is no room for anything to take root in our lives. Paul says in Ephesians, don't make room for the devil. When you don't mind your gaps, when you don't know them, when you don't pay attention to them, you're far more likely to step into one of them. If you don't know the hole is there, you're, going, you're more likely to fall into it. So how do we close the gaps? That's the question, right? How do we do this? If we know the gaps are bad, we know we need the narrow gate, how do we move from the narrow gate to the small gate? How do we close these gaps? Number one, you've got to communicate like you love your neighbor. You actually have to communicate. That's why Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. The first step in, in that is, is you shouldn't say everything you think. You need to be focused. It needs to be narrow. The narrow gate leads to life. Is life coming out of my mouth? When we have unspoken expectations, when we communicate and we're, we're not clear or we don't communicate truthfully and authentically and fully, it creates unspoken expectations. An unspoken expectation in every single time leads to an unmet expectation and an unmet expectation leads to a gap. You have to communicate fully, truthfully, kindly, humbly. When you have an unrealistic expectation, Maybe you're communicating it and you're like, I'm, I'm expecting you to do something, I don't know what, larger than life. And it's impossible for that person to do that. You have an unrealistic expectation and that ends up being an unmet expectation, which leads to a gap. So when we communicate to one another, when we communicate to our, in every relationship, not just marriages, but every relationship, if our lens is I want to communicate kindly, humbly, clearly, and lovingly to the people I interact with, every relationship you have will get better. There's not one relationship that you have that will not improve if that is the way that you communicate. In your workplace, are you, are you, are you a boss who only uses positional authority? Is that your default or your last resort? Or are you communicating kindly, humbly, clearly, with clear intent? How is your communication? How are you, how are you speaking to the people you work with, the people you interact with, your children, your spouse, your coworkers? How are you speaking to them? What would happen if for just a moment before you send that email or that text message, you took 10 seconds and you prayed? Just 10 seconds. And just, God, is this, is this kind? Is this humble? Is this loving? Is it clear? What good could come from your relationships if you were committed to speaking to people like you love them? If we communicated it, if we communicate like we love our neighbor. Number two, serve selflessly. I love this. We're going to jump back into Numbers chapter 33. It says, distribute the land by law according to your clans. I love it. He says, distribute it. 
to a larger clan, give larger inheritance to a smaller, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distribute it among, according to your ancestral tribes. Moses is saying, you have to distribute it. You have to be generous. You have to serve. You have to give it away. You can't amass it for yourself, but you need to give it away. Often in relationships, we try to amass and we try to collect and we try to gather for ourselves so that we can feel good. We love the perception of a person, so we bring them in. We try to amass relationships that way. Or we love what they can do for us. They love the talents that we have. They love what we bring to the table, so we try to amass it together instead of saying, no, no, I'm here. I'm going to serve selflessly. I'm going to distribute the lot that God has given me to the people he's given me. All of those are, we have, to, we have to move beyond selfishness. That's why in Revelation chapter 2, it says, repent and do the things you did at first. God's talking to the church there, but I think it applies to our relationships. Think about when you first entered into a relationship, you go overboard. Not just the romantic ones, especially the romantic ones. It's easy when you're thinking about your spouse or you're in a relationship and it's, man, I'm buying flowers. I'm, I'm doing all these things. I drove, I'm, I calculated this week. When I first started dating Rachel, I worked an hour away from my house. So I drove one hour, one way to get to work every day. I, got, I arrived, I had to be there at 6 a.m. I got off at 3 p.m. I drove an hour and a half to get to Rachel's house. So I drove an hour to work, an hour and a half to Rachel's house. She lived in the middle of nowhere, Possum Ridge. And so we had to drive at least 40 minutes to go somewhere else to go out to do whatever we were doing, dinner, you know, hanging out, whatever. So I drove 40 minutes and I drove 40 minutes back to her house and then 30 minutes to my house. I was in the car over three hours every single day just because I wanted to spend time with her. <laughs> three hours in the car now, I'm like, nah, come on. We'll FaceTime. I'm kidding. No, I would still do it. But even in your friendships, when you meet a new coworker, you meet a new colleague, you're like, hey, let me take you out to lunch. Let's get, let me buy your coffee. Come on, let's hang out. Let's do these things. Hey, are you going out? Let's get a bite to eat after work. Whatever it is, you go over the top. And slowly, as you know their baggage, you stop asking them questions about their life and you just start telling them about yours. And the conversation goes from, I'm asking open-ended questions so I can get to know them, so I can lean into them. I'm just dumping my baggage so that I can feel good. What did you do at first? What did you do at the first beginnings of any relationship? You've been over backwards. You serve selflessly. When was the last time you bought your coworker lunch? Or even a simple, simple, something as simple as, hey, I heard you're going through a hard time. I heard this scenario is happening in your life. I heard your, your family member has cancer. I heard this situation's happening. I heard your wife lost her job, or I heard their company got bought out, or whatever it is. Man, can I pray for you? I'm so sorry that's happening. Can I pray for you? And take a moment and pray for him. And then keep praying for them. If we want to be great at relationships, we have to become great at serving. Jesus said in Matthew 23 that the greatest among us have to become a servant. If you want to be great, the key to greatness is servanthood. So how can we serve our relationships? You have been given a lot. You, not just external things, but the internal things as a Christ follower. Love, peace, contentment. You've been given the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You've been, you've been empowered by God. 
to have a supernatural love that overflows out of your life. You have been given a lot, so now we have to serve selflessly. Third thing is this, is go to the source. He is the ultimate source. I love this in verse 53. Moses is telling the people, take possession of the land and settle it. For I have given you this land to possess. This is God speaking. God's saying, I've given it to you. I'm the source. It's not your army. It's not Joshua. It's not Aaron and her who are holding up the hands of Moses. None of them are the provider. God is the source. God is the provider. So if we want to have great relationships, if we want to be good at having relationships, the first step is we have to go to the source. The beginning and end of all relationships are, is God, is the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, constantly and forever eternal in perfect harmony with one another, this perfect image of a relationship. And we have to, as Christians, as people who follow God, we have to go to the source and connect with the source or else we will never be able to fully close the gaps in our lives. Because in every single relationship you and I have, Every single relationship, I am convinced this is the root question that we are all asking at all times. Do you really love who I really am? Do you really love who I really am or do you love what I can do for you? Do you love who I really am or do you love what I provide for you? Do you love who I really am or do you love the way that I make you feel? The gifts, talents, the things I bring to the table. Do you really love who I really am? And in each one of our relationships, in every single one of our hearts, we're constantly asking the question of God and of people, do you really love who I really am? And when we don't know the answer, there's a gap. And the longer we leave these questions unanswered in our lives, the larger that gap becomes. And we want to go through the narrow gate. We don't want there to be any gaps. Because if I, can, if I can squeeze through, if I can get small enough, if I can get compact enough, and if I can get through the narrow gate, I know I will find life. The only way through the narrow gate is through Jesus Christ. He is the gate. He is our way to God the Father. He is our way to life. There is no way we will ever be able to close every single gap in our lives unless we go through the narrow gate because the one who created us, the one who formed us, the one who fashioned us in our mother's womb, the one who knows the real you, the you that you hide from every other person on this planet, the you that you've buried deep inside so you can project a facade. He knows the you that you've never shown anyone and he looks at you today and he says I love you for who you are I know every mistake you've ever made I know every mistake you will ever make 
And yet I choose to love you for who you are because I know the real you. I know the you you were created to be. I know the you that you long in your innermost being to become. I know the you. I know the purposes. I know the plans. I know the future that I have for you. But we have to step in and through the narrow gate and close the gap and say, Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And I am willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to drive out everything else, to push away every other thing so that I can get through this gate, so I can find life and life in you. Jesus Christ is the only one. He's the one who said, I'm not going to just bridge the gap between you and God. I am the one who is going to close the gap. I'm going to be the one who makes a way for you to have a relationship with God the Father when your sin and your mistakes and your shame would otherwise make it impossible. I'm the way that you close the gap. And when we order our relationships properly, everything else works. This is why Matthew 22, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus is giving the order. He's giving the function. He's giving the, the proper alignment of relationships that we got to close the gap, the gap that we have with God. And as we close that gap, we can move into the other spheres, our spouses, small group, our relationships. But he is the source. Would you stand on your feet with me? One of the greatest things about Jesus Christ, in my opinion, is that he is a God who displaces everything else. He's not content to sit back. He wants to, to push and to press so that all the high places, all the idols, all the images, all the things get pushed out of our lives so there's not an inch left so that he can take up residency, his Holy Spirit can take up residency in our hearts and our lives. So if that's you today, you say, you know what? I need to get my first relationship right. I need to close the gap in my relationship with God. If that's you today, just right where you're at. I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. 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 You put your hands down. I just want us to collectively, let's just, as a church body, let's, as a fam the family of God, let's just pray this prayer. And those of you who raised your hands, I just want to encourage you, just make this prayer your prayer. Jesus, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are life. I know I have a gap where sin and shame and mistakes have taken up residency. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Close this gap. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for every single... Every single person who prayed that prayer this morning, amen. Amen.
And here's where I want to hang just for a moment. Just, just everybody else in this room that you have gaps. Maybe it's not your relationship with God, but you're looking through, you're, you're playing back your week, you're playing back your life, and you're going, there's gaps in my life. There's gaps in my relationship with my spouse or my colleagues or my coworkers or my friends or my children. There's gaps. There's things that I'm doing that I'm, I'm having unrealistic expectations or I'm not communicating clearly or maybe I'm being selfish. And it's right where you're at. I just want you to take a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. God, I pray for my friends today. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal the gaps in our lives. We need you. We need wisdom that is from God above. God, open our eyes so that we can see the places where we have gaps in our lives. God, and, and forgive us. God, we come to you and we, we ask for forgiveness that you would forgive us from those places where we've had selfish motives or, or communicated unclearly. Jesus, forgive us. We need you. We need your power of your Holy Spirit. We need you to bridge this gap. We need you to close these gaps that we have in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If our ushers could go ahead and come forward. As our ushers are coming, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you so much. There's, it has been amazing to see God at work through Radiant Church. And I know it's, it's easy to say, but we get, to, we get so many stories of what happens because of your generosity. Even in our neighborhood in Johnson County and Overland Park, there's, there's pregnancy resources that are getting funded so that young women and, women and ladies don't have to go have an abortion, but they can find Christian resources to keep their child. And that doesn't happen without you. There's outreach. We're feeding homeless people every month because of you. We're feeding between 90 and 150 homeless people every single month just because of your generosity. We're able to send the gospel around the world because of your generosity. As a church, we've been able to not only purchase, now we're in the, the beginning stages. We're about to, to jump into a renovation of Radiant Church's permanent home to where we can see ministry happen 24-7. We, we don't have to borrow other buildings or rent facilities. We're able to have a permanent home as a church. And it's because of your generosity. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for returning the tithe. The Bible says that when you do that, I love it, because God actually says, test me and try me in this to see if I don't open the windows of heaven for you, to see if I don't rebuke the devourer on your behalf. It's an amazing promise of God. I just want to say thank you for participating in that. So let's pray, and then we're going to worship Jesus. We love you. God, I thank you for the tithers. I thank you for the givers. God, I thank you for the incredibly generous people of Radiant Church. God, I pray that your hand would be upon them. God, that the light of your face would shine down, that you would give them peace and truth and faithfulness, Jesus, that you would do what only you can do, that you would open up the windows of heaven, you would pour out a blessing that they cannot contain. Jesus, we love you, we worship you, in Jesus' name.